Those of you that were here last week will remember that uh, John gave us an outline of uh, one of Peter, and uh, there were some Bible study notes which he uh, distributed around. If you haven't got one, there's still some, I think, out on the desk out there, where you can read the background to Peter in the New Testament. Uh, but over the next few weeks, we're going to concentrate on one and two Peter. And John's been quite brave because he's let those of us who are speaking preach from whatever part of the chapter is given as we want to. So you will probably receive some fairly diverse uh, preaching over the next few weeks. But I'm sure it'll all be brilliant. I've been given one Peter to start us off. And I just want to read the chapter to you before we start. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Christ Jesus and sprinkled by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 
He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men like grass are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Amen. Some amazing things in that chapter alone. But I want to concentrate this morning on 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 16. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The story is told of a young boy who had just driven an almost perfect driving test. The only mistake he made, said the examiner later, was as he had stopped to let him out of the car. After breathing a sigh of relief, the boy exclaimed, I'm so glad I don't don't have to drive like that all the time. (laughs) Can I suggest that he was like a fair number of churchgoers today? They put on a good front when they know someone is watching. But the rest of the time they let down their standards. There's not too much difference between them and the rest of the world, except that they go to church a little more. A statistic which surprised me is that the divorce rate among Christians is about the same as in the secular world. Not only that, in fact, the third highest divorce rate occupationally after doctors and police is church pastors. I'm not going to divorce you just yet. You're all right. (laughs) Some Christians watch the same TV shows and movies for the same number of hours weekly as everyone else. Some Christian youth and older folk as well are involved in sexual immorality to pretty much the same extent as non-Christians. Many Christian businessmen have bad reputations as employers. In fact, it would seem that our Christianity in a lot of cases doesn't have much effect on the way we live. I can think of no Bible text that needs to be taught and received by Christians not only in the UK, but also many other countries around the world, 
than our text today. Peter is writing to many who had come from pagan backgrounds, living in a pagan society where there was great pressure to conform. Not unlike today, many Christians would say. Peter calls his readers, his fellow Christians, not non-Christians, Christians, to holiness in light of the coming of Jesus Christ and the holy character of the God who calls us to salvation. He makes three points in this passage. To be holy people, we must be focused on Christ's coming. We must be obedient in all of life. And we must be growing in our knowledge of God's holiness. Only God is truly holy, but he calls us to holiness, and we will only be truly holy when we meet him face to face. But we can take steps towards it in this life. The moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Saviour, we are sanctified or set apart, made holy unto God. We then need to grow in holiness. This process will not be completed on earth, but we need to actively work at it. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the bodies, you, live, you will live. As I said, we will never be perfect in this life, but we can make every effort towards it, although by our very nature we will fail from time to time. But God knows that and is prepared for it. And then when we meet, go to meet the Lord in heaven, we will be perfectly sanctified or made holy, made completely like him. 1 John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God and what will we be and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I need to perhaps say at this point that you cannot get to heaven by striving to be holy. Good works cannot pay the penalty for our sins. Only the blood of Jesus can satisfy the justice of God. We must put our trust in him, not our good works. But if our faith in Christ to save us is genuine, it will result in a life of progressive holiness, and that will include good works. Hebrews 12.14 tells us, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Peter, in this passage, shows us three ways that we can develop our holy lifestyle as those who have trusted in Christ. Firstly, to be holy people, 
we must be focused on Christ's coming. 1 Peter 1, 13 and 16 in the Greek text has only two commands. Fix your hope and be holy. Everything else follows on from these two. So we could paraphrase it as girding your minds for action, keeping sober, fix your hope completely on the grace being brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are three aspects to this grace. Number one, it begins in the mind. Gird up the loins of your mind stems from the fact that in those days men wore long flowing robes which got in the way when they needed to run, work or fight. So they would took their robes into a belt to free them up, thus girding up your, their loins. Holiness begins in your thought life. What you think determines how you live. So you need to deal with every sinful thought as it occurs. Confess it to God and replace it with God's thoughts. Be it envy, lust, greed or any other sinful thought. Paul states in Corinthians 10.5 Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It's on the thought level that your Christianity is either real or fake. You can fool everyone else, but God knows your thoughts. If you're faking it and not cultivating a holy thought life, sooner or later, It's going to come out in the open in some form of sin that everyone can see. You need to guard what enters your mind as carefully as what you eat. You wouldn't eat scraps out of a dustbin because it would make you sick. If your daily thought diet is the secular stuff of television, cinema and other media, and you seldom feed on God's word, you will not become a holy man or woman. Peter says that we must fix our hope completely on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Holiness begins in our mind as we think often of our Saviour and the gracious salvation we will fully experience when he returns and we are changed into his likeness. Number two, it requires spiritual alertness. Being sober is a favourite phrase of Peter's. Its spiritual application is to be alert and self-controlled. It refers to clarity of mind and the resulting good judgment. The point is we live in enemy territory and the devil prowls about like a marauding lion. If we feed our minds on the stuff of the world and don't feed on God's word, then you become easy prey for the devil. 
you're not going to become a holy person. And number three, it is motivated by grace. Fix your hope completely on the grace being brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God's grace is the motivation for holy living. Why does Peter tell us to focus on the grace that will be brought to us when Jesus returns rather than the grace we've already received? I believe, and it's a thought, and others may disagree, I believe it was because his readers were going through intense trials. Peter is telling them, you've already tasted of God's salvation in Christ. Well, that's just the beginning. Just hang on through the trials and focus on the fact that God is going to bless you beyond anything you can imagine. Not based on what you deserve, but based on his undeserved favour. That future grace should motivate us to live holy lives right now, no matter how much we suffer. Second point that Peter makes is to be holy people, we must be obedient to the Father in all of life. And again, there are three aspects to this. We must make a break with our past lifestyle. We're told, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you were in ignorance. The word conformed is used in only one of the places in the New Testament by Paul in Romans 12.2 where he says and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Our past lifestyle was marked by our efforts to fulfil selfish desires. But as Christians growing in our knowledge of God, we don't have to be controlled by selfish desires anymore. We make a break with the self-centred desires that marked us before we met Christ. And now we can live under his lordship and for his purposes. Number two, we must establish a habit of obedience. Verse 14 says, as obedient children. The Hebrew means characterised by obedience or habitual obedience. The implication is that God is our Heavenly Father whom we obey. His word tells us how he wants us to live. We should desire to obey God, not out of legalism, but as a response to his grace and mercy in our lives. As God's children, we need to get into the habit of asking, what does God's word say? Then we need to obey it. Third 
Thirdly, we must erase the distinction between sacred and secular. Verse 15 says, Be holy in all you do. Peter is emphasising here that living the Christian life is not a part-time occupation. He tells us that we need to be holy in all we do. Peter is saying that our separation unto God is to affect every area of life, both private and public. There is no such thing as secular life that is not sacred for the Christian. This doesn't mean you must be perfect, you'll be pleased to know. It means that you live with integrity, confessing sin when you mess up, and you will, making your Christianity practical in every aspect of life. And here's a scary thought, or at least I think it's a scary thought. We're the only Bible many non-believers will ever read. We're the only Bible many non-believers will ever read. Just as we can learn quite a bit about a father by watching his children, so the world learns about our Heavenly Father by watching his children. That means we must learn to obey our Father in all of life in order to reflect his glory to the world. Otherwise, what are they going to see in us that's different from anything else that they see? Thirdly, to be holy people, we must be growing in our personal knowledge of God's holiness. Verse 15 says, but just as he who called you is holy, and verse 16 says, be holy, because I am holy. These two verses imply that we know something about who this holy God is. The Christian life is a process of growing to know God as he has revealed himself to us in Scripture. Not what some preacher thinks, not what some book can tell us, but what scripture tells us as God reveals himself to us through it. It's very dangerous to go off into other books or to listen to some of the preaching of some men. The Bible tells us what we need to know. And this knowledge of the Holy One has a transforming effect on our lives. We can never be as holy as God is holy, since such absolute holiness belongs to God alone. Otherwise, what sort of God is he? But we can and must grow in personal holiness as we grow to know our holy God. The one follows on from the other. And unless we're seeking to look in the scripture and find out about God's holiness, 
then our personal growth will be quite stunted. Unfortunately today we can be somewhat flippant and shallow in our knowledge of God. Some Christians talk about God without any fear of the awesomeness of his absolute holiness. When we read in the Bible of people encountering God face to face or Jesus in his resurrected state, they almost invariably fall on their face in wonder and reverence. Do we really know who this holy God is in this day and age? I'm sure you've all had those moments in your life when the awesomeness of God suddenly strikes you and you're amazed that this awesome God still wants a personal relationship with each and every one of us despite all of our baggage. I can remember driving through a valley in Scotland with no one else around us and huge mountains towering up on both sides of the road. In that moment I had a glimpse of how small and insignificant we are in comparison to all that God has created. And the amazing thing is that despite that, he still loves us with an everlasting love. Not only as a people group, but more amazingly, individually. Each one of us. How amazing that is. We need to experience that feeling more and more as we grow in our knowledge of who God really is. Someone far cleverer than me wrote the following. The greatest miracle that God can do today is to take an unholy man or woman out of an unholy world and make them holy. But then, to put them back into that unholy world and keep them holy in it. The greatest miracle God can do today is to take an unholy man or woman out of an unholy world make them holy and put them back into that unholy world and keep them holy in it. How can he do that for us? He can do it as we and we need to take action. It's been said many times before from this pulpit Our relationship with God is a two-way thing. It's not all about seeking God and seeing what we can take from him. We need to input into the relationship as well. So God can do that for us as we focus on Christ's coming. As we are obedient in all of life. And as we grow in our personal knowledge of God's holiness. Let's pray.
Father, we come before you this morning and we sing our praises to you and we pray prayers. Father, what do we do when we've left this place? Do we go about our daily business until next Sunday? Or do we take you with us through your Holy Spirit into the life that we live during the week? Do we seek your face in everything that we do, day by day? Do we seek to be obedient to your calling upon our lives? Do we, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, have you at the centre of everything we do? And when we have decisions to make, Do we come to you and ask for your guidance? Do we seek to see whether it's in your plan and purpose for our lives? Or do we plough on regardless, hoping that you will keep up with us or that you will bless the things that we decide we want to do? Father, help us to realise who you are, to realise that you are the creator of all things, that you created us and you created every other human being that's on this planet. Father, you want a relationship with us, not from a distance, but you want to draw close to us. You want to be in every part of our lives, whatever that may be, wherever we may be. Now, Father, when we walk away from you, you don't walk away from us, you're still there. Like the father in the prodigal son story, Father, you're there, looking out, waiting for us to return. And when we do that, you don't condemn us, you open your arms, you encircle us and enfold us, and you bring us back into the fold with rejoicing. Father, help us in our search for you. Help us in our search for your holiness that we may know with certainty that as we do that our relationship with you will grow our nearness to you will grow and when we finally come to meet you face to face you will make us perfect and we will be like you and that's just an amazing thought so Father if we've been a little less than diligent with our walk with you over the last weeks and months Father help us to draw close again Help us to seek you and to seek your face and to know with certainty that as we do that, you won't reject us. You will open your arms and receive us with grace and mercy and love. In Jesus' name. Amen.